Welcome to another episode of Mormon Sunday School Gospel Principles Edition. I'm Bill Real. Grateful for the chance to have you today. What we're going to do today is we are going to be looking at Gospel Principles Manual, Chapter 3. Now, this manual is still current in the church, but it's not used in the two-hour block of church anymore. Uh, but it's a great way to impart uh, basic Mormon doctrine, and so that's our goal. What we're going to do is we're going to go into uh, Chapter 3, Jesus Christ, Our Chosen Leader and Savior. And we st always uh, do these lessons juxtaposing uh, the current manual against an older manual. The 1979 edition is what we're using here, uh, 7879, I believe. And we have three goals in every episode of the Gospel Principles edition of Mormon Sunday School. Number one is to share a uh, faithful framing of basic Mormon doctrine. The second is to notice how Mormonism has shifted in the last few decades to what it is today. And then lastly, we go into any deeper doctrines that the manual sh doesn't share. Uh, in other words, when new members or investigators are presented the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are given a very simplified form of Mormon theology. And there lies further in Mormonism, deeper doctrines, deeper theology, quotes that the investigator or new member would never be aware of. And our goal here is to uh, make our audience informed about not only the basic faithful Mormon doctrine, but also to explain how the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, the things that it holds to be true, but which it doesn't share with new members, uh, things maybe it taught at one time, things that it uh, doesn't emphasize today, those kinds of ideas. And so here in the Gospel Principles Manual, the very first page of this chapter, the older manual on the left, uh, we should note that this section, a savior and leader was needed. And we often talk, uh, and we have in the last two weeks in the lessons that we've done here, chapter one and chapter two, we've talked about our heavenly father and in chapter two, our heavenly family. And we noted that Mormonism uh, has within its theology, the idea that we all existed before we came to this earth life to take on a mortal probation, to prove ourselves to God. And in that pre-earth life, we all lived there, spirit children of our Heavenly Father, but there was a plan needed to get us back to God. And so when Heavenly Father discussed His plan with all of us spirit children, there was a recognition that a Savior and a leader was needed. And so in LDS theology, uh, on the left-hand side, you'll notice that there were two of our brothers who offered to help. So Heavenly Father... Uh, it says here, we needed a Savior to pay for our sins and to teach us how to return to our Heavenly Father. Our Father said, whom shall I send? And that's uh, recounting a scripture in a uh, LDS or, or Mormon-only uh, scripture, the book of Abraham, Abraham 3, uh, verse 27. But then Mormonism in the Old Manual notes, again, the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, notes that two of our brothers offered to help our oldest brother, Jesus Christ who was then called Jehovah. And Jehovah said, here am I, send me. Okay, so there were two brothers out of all the spirit children who came forward to try to help. And it notes that one of them is Jesus Christ. 
Then down below it notes who the second brother was. Satan, who was called Lucifer, also came saying, and then he says, behold, here am I. And essentially, I will make sure that not one soul is lost because Satan, his goal was to take away our agency, our ability to choose. And hence, we wouldn't grow, but all of us would get back to Heavenly Father. Um, so there's that. So the, the two folks step forward, our brothers in the pre-earth life, and our brothers each suggest a, uh, a different way of going about it. Jesus is going to support Heavenly Father's plan, which some of us will be lost because we won't choose the right. And Lucifer came forward and said, I will do it. Give me the honor. I'll make sure not one soul is lost. And that's the only difference really on that page from the current manual. And so we talked there about the removal of Lucifer and Satan as one of the two parties and also as one of our brothers who was presented in the plan of salvation. In the second one, the really only note is in the war in heaven. So we'll go through these sections. First one is Jesus Christ became our chosen leader and savior. So heavenly father and the majority of us spirit children of God chose Jesus Christ to be the savior. We went with that. And so Jesus Christ became our Savior and leader. Heavenly Father said, I choose him. And then that leads to a war in heaven. And the idea is that, that there was dispute and disagreement about which of the plans we should go with. And I would imagine that if this framing is true, if this is really what happened, I can certainly comprehend and connect to the idea that if I was in a premortal existence and I was being told that a, a number of us, a significant number of us, wouldn't make it back to God. We wouldn't be able to live with him again. So that we'll each have chances to enjoy mortality, to make choices, and that some of us, because of our choices and our lack of ability to repent or our willingness to repent, we won't make it back to God. And I can sympathize with that. I can see why that would be terrifying uh, to anyone who is being presented with two plans. I could see why some might want a plan where no matter what, I get back to God. I get back to my Father in heaven. And because of this conflict in the pre-earth life, there was a war in heaven. And uh, some people sided up with Lucifer and some people sided up with God's plan and with Jesus Christ, and there was a war. And some think of this war as a physical war. So the newer manual inserts uh, a scripture, the Savior's followers, quote, overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, unquote. And that's from Revelation in the New Testament, chapter 12, verse 11. And I think this was inserted only to... Uh, encourage us to see the war in heaven is not a physical war where spirits are fighting each other in a literal physical fashion with like physical violence, but rather that there was a war of words, that this was uh, a war of ideology, not, not a physical war of physical violence. Um, but there's that. And so there's that idea. I just put that up there just to make sure we covered it. And then we get to the last section. We have the Savior's teachings to follow. So we chose God's plan. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And Christ will come down 
himself to mortality, and the process will play out in such a way that his teachings will be written down, and, and God's children who have access to those teachings, keep in mind, not everybody who ever lived in this world, in fact, a very, probably a very small percentage of human beings who have ever lived actually have a, uh, a really sincere access to Jesus Christ and his teachings. Uh, they either are limited by time. If they were born, for instance, before Jesus Christ's life, they would have no access to it. Um, so there's that. And then there's also people who are born in various places of the world where because of the faith system they're born into, because of the mindset that their parents or their uh, society give them, they're really, they might have access to Christ and his teachings, but they really don't um, because they are, they have been taught to believe and think a certain way. And so they're unlikely to feel safe or to feel encouraged to then go find something different to be fulfilling to them. They might be happy with what they have. And so there are people even with the gospel of Jesus Christ around who probably don't have a real sincere access to it. But we do note that Jesus Christ's teachings are available uh, on some level. And again, we'll get to this later, but the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints does believe in redeeming the dead meaning that those who didn't have an opportunity to hear Christ or his teachings or to take advantage of the gospel of Jesus Christ will have an opportunity to accept it and to access it and will be allowed into exaltation and salvation uh, based on what they would have done if they had had the opportunity here on earth. If they sincerely in the life hereafter uh, jump at it and are willing uh, to take on all of those commitments and covenants and to repent, then they'll have access in the life hereafter uh, to enjoy uh, salvation or exaltation. And I just want to note, though, on this page, the only difference was that in the old manual, and we've noted this in the pre previous two chapters, is that the church used to highly emphasize that we are children of heavenly parents, and they have phased out almost entirely that phrasing from this gospel principles manual so that now all it says is our heavenly father, um, but it doesn't speak of heavenly parents in this chapter, just our heavenly father. So there's that. And then we finish off talking about uh, what doctrine and theology does the current gospel principle manual avoid telling you. And there is a, a list of things here. I just want to note them. The early doctrine of the church and teachings of its leaders taught that Jesus was literally conceived by a sexual act be between Heavenly Father and Mary. And I don't know, we'll probably get into places later on in the life of Jesus Christ where we mention this again, but I do think it's at least worth mentioning here that when this Messiah, Jesus, who accepted being the Savior, our older brother in the pre-earth life, when he comes to earth to take on mortality, um, most of Christianity believes that Jesus was conceived in some like magical supernatural process via the Holy Ghost. And what LDS leaders teach early on in church history is that God the not that he wasn't conceived by the Holy Ghost, but instead was conceived in a natural way that our that a uh, uh, 
a, a heavenly father who has a resurrected celestial body came down to earth, had sexual relations with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and impregnated her. And that sort of sounds out there, but let me read the quotes so that we can see that that really is what happened. Hebrew C. Kimball, uh, September 2nd, 1860. In relation to the way in which I look upon the works of God and his creatures, I will say that I was naturally begotten. So was my father and also my savior, Jesus Christ. According to the scriptures, he is the first begotten of his father in the flesh and there was nothing unnatural about it. So it's not supernatural. This was a very natural process. Orson Pratt says the Holy Ghost gave Mary strength to abide in the presence of the Father without being consumed, but it was the personage of the Father who begat the body of Jesus, and for this reason Jesus is called the only begotten of the Father. See, when they read only begotten, they go, what that means is that Jesus is the only person whose actual uh, dad is Heavenly Father in terms of his mortal body, because the rest of us are spirit children of God, but Jesus is different than the rest of us because his physical body was begotten by the Father. It continues, that is the only one in this world, that is the only one in this world whose fleshly body was begotten by the Father. There were millions of sons and daughters who he begat before the foundation of the world, but they were spirits and not bodies of flesh and bone. Then Mormon doctrine, Bruce R. McConkie, says Christ was begotten by an immortal father in the same way that mortal men are begotten by mortal fathers. And then the discourses of Brigham Young, the father came down and begat him the same as we do now. And there are dozens of other quotes. One of the quotes, I didn't put up here because it was too long, but one of the quotes said that Christ was not begotten by the Holy Ghost, which is what Christian scripture says and what most of Christianity believes. But uh, And then he, he continues and says, but was begotten by the Father. Uh, I also want to note here, so there's that idea. Then the new idea is that Jesus' atonement, uh, which we'll get to later on too, but this all plays into Jesus being chosen in the pre-earth life to be our leader, to be our Savior and our Messiah. Um, but that Jesus's atonement takes place in Gethsemane, at least partly, if not entirely. And if, if partly, then the larger part. Uh, so where most of Christianity believes that Christ made the atonement on the cross, Latter-day Saints believe that Jesus's atonement mostly, if not completely, took place in the Garden of Gethsemane when Christ went off from the disciples to pray. And then the scripture says that he sweat like it were great drops of blood. And so Latter-day Saints suggest that he was suffering for the sins of the world in such a significant, significantly painful, stressful way that his body bled out of its pores where normally sweat would come out Instead, blood came out, and he suffered in atonement there in Gethsemane. And then the cross sort of wraps up the process so that he can die and go back to the Father. Uh, I also want to note that the cross is not emphasized in the LDS faith. 
Again, we'll probably get to these things later, but I think they at least need mentioning as we start to talk about Jesus Christ. And then in Mormon theology, Christ doesn't make all the difference, he just makes up the difference. So where in most of Christianity, Christ's grace uh, covers us as we are all just sinners who can't help but be sinners, LDS theology says that there's a lot more responsibility on the person to do all that they can do to make all efforts to be righteous and to repent appropriately, to repent uh, sincerely and fully of things when we don't choose to do the right thing. And that only with the gap that's left over does, the, does Christ take care of with his atonement. And so Latter-day Saint theology has a lot more responsibility on the individual to do things, to, uh, to live the gospel and keep the commandments and uh, to live a life of obedience and repentance. Uh, then I just want to say the last one here is while Christ and his atonement is emphasized to the investigator uh, and while less so to the new member, little by little, what the person learns as time goes on is that the top 15 leaders of the church are the real sacred cow. What I mean by that is that if you sit in an LDS meeting You'll certainly get a little bit of Jesus. You'll get a little bit of the atonement. There is the sacrament prayers. But that most of the emphasis in the church is on the fact that we have living prophets. Joseph Smith is the prophet of the restoration. And only by listening to these men and following them, being obedient to them, and seeing them as the mouthpieces of God has more... uh, more importance, and it seems to be covered uh, much more than the life of Jesus Christ or of the teachings of Christ or of mentioning Jesus in Sunday meetings in uh, a LDS chapel, for instance. And so loyalty to them trumps all else, including Christ. In fact, there are members of the church who are allowed to be active, faithful members of the church but not believing in the historicity of Jesus as Messiah. And what I mean by that is they might believe in a historical Jesus, a man lived, named Yahshua bar Yosef, or Jesus, right? But um, but simply believe that he was a religious teacher of the day, and they don't believe that he died for our sins literally. They don't believe that he reanimated after being dead for three days. Those, some of those folks seem to be allowed to stay in the faith as fully active, faithful uh, you know, members of the church who are seen as being in, in full faith. At the same time, one thing you can't do in Mormonism is criticize the top 15 leaders of the church. That's the sacred cow. If you go, if you in any way diminish them as mouthpieces of God, if you go, I don't believe they're prophets, and I think they make mistakes, those two things will get you in trouble in the LDS church. Um, so 
they are the thing you're not allowed to really criticize or speak to. Um, anyway, those are the things that are uh, in Mormonism that don't really get mentioned, and they don't get mentioned anywhere along the way. We'll cover them more in chapters where they're more pertinent. Um, but I simply want to note that's the end of today's lesson. And I appreciate each of you being here. Uh, please like and subscribe. Uh, also follow the other series we do here, which is the Mormon uh, Mormon Sunday School, the Come Follow Me edition, where they go through, uh, where Radio Free Mormon goes through the Come Follow Me manual and shares with you every week, a week ahead of time, things that you would not hear in your uh, regular Sunday School class. Uh, so please follow along there. And uh, hope you're enjoying the program, uh, enjoying the channel. Please like and subscribe. And uh, we're super excited to have you here. Have a beautiful day.